Hi, you guys. Welcome back. This is Lost Arts Radio, and I'm your host, Richard Sachs. And we have an exciting guest that I've been hoping we could get on. And that's Melissa Tate, who is an immigrant, a legal immigrant from Zimbabwe. And she's actually from an African country that most Americans don't know much about. And her experience is really valuable for several reasons that more than we really have time to get into here, but we'll do our best. And I think one of them is what happened to Zimbabwe which used to be in really good shape before certain policies changed. And we get a chance to look at that a little bit. And then her experience in America with what's going on here with, you know, our rulers and the media trying to make us all into people worried about everything, including racism, which to me, I mean, it's so foreign. I don't even relate to people as different races, but as spirit. And um, these are our costumes. And then she's got a great book we want to talk about and have everybody buy. So that'll get us started and we'll see where it goes. So welcome, Melissa. Thanks for coming over. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Richard. I'm excited to be on the show. Yeah, there's some really neat stuff to talk about. And one of them that we can't spend too much time on, but I think it's really important is that Americans, most of us don't travel, especially now when it's getting really difficult to travel, but even Mm -hmm. for quite a while. Mm-hmm. And in, in fact, a lot of Americans just have a general impression of Africa as if it was a single country. Yeah. And there's a lot of countries in Africa. And mm-hmm. one of them is Zimbabwe that's important for many reasons, partly because of the great example it was of prosperity and peace before, I guess, Mugabe took over and his gradual policies came into force. And it's relevant right now, not just for general knowledge of the rest of the world and geography, which would be really good for us all to have, but also because it's being implemented here mm-hmm. in a little bit different style, but similar. So what was Zimbabwe like before it had this problem? So um, there as a kid. <laughs> so growing up in Zimbabwe, I mean, I never would have asked to grow up anywhere else. It was a Beautiful country. I mean, it still is. I mean, it's a beautiful country either way, but, you know, it was just a peaceful country, successful country, thriving middle class. Um, You know, we had expats who lived from all over the country. Like I went to a school that was very popular with uh, people from all over the world. So I went to school with people from Sweden, from Yugoslavia, from Australia, from all over the world, um, because it was just a great place to live. And um, it was known as the breadbasket of Africa because it was um, where the agricultural hub through which uh, food was exported all over Southern Africa. Kind of a subtropical uh, environment or, you know, climate wise. Oh, perfect climate. I mean, they they used to joke that Harare has the best weather in the world, which I think is true because it's like 82 degrees with no humidity. It's like perfect between 78 and 82 pretty much every day. (laughs) But you don't recommend moving there immediately at at this point? Not with the COVID situation right now. Even without COVID? I mean, Um, Well, no, not really. No, no. What what changed briefly to make it not the ideal place to live? Well, it was a gradual process. So now I look at look back at it, you know, as an adult and try to connect the dots of what was actually happening at the time. Yeah. But um, just reading historical accounts of uh, what happened after independence. So Zimbabwe was a colony of the 
of the United Kingdom for a, a certain period of time. So we have a white population in Zimbabwe. Mm-hmm. So we did have years of colonization and there was segregation and racism during that, that period. So there was a revolutionary war that overtook the, um, the, col- the, the colonized, I mean, the, um, I guess the colonial rule. So it overthrew the colonial rule. Okay. So President Mugabe became president. And at the time, he actually had a very open-minded way of looking at the situation. So he basically said that, you know, blacks and whites should live together in peace and we should not look back at the colonial days and we should only look forward. And, and come About together. What, what year was that uh, independence started? Uh, that was 1980. Okay, pretty recent. So, yeah, so that was before I was born. Um, so, so basically, so that's the culture that I grew up in in Zimbabwe. There was no racial tension, um, you know, anything that I would notice. You know, it was just black people and white people lived peacefully in Zimbabwe. We were, we were Zimbabwean. Like, it was not like black versus white. It was just there's white Zimbabweans and there's black Zimbabweans and we live peacefully together in the same country. And that's the like normal. Right? Yeah, it was normal. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Uh, so, yeah, so I grew up going to my friend's house, you know, uh, who's white and, you know, had played with them and had family over and, you know, right, right. so it was perfectly normal. And then there was a shift that took place. Um, I would say probably in the mid nineties. And because the president, he was already, he was already a self-proclaimed Marxist. So in the beginning, in reading historical accounts, he had initially kept the capitalist society in place in order to, you know, exploit it and use it for his own benefit. Okay. And, yeah. And then, so it was uh, always his plan, you think? He was just doing it slowly? He was just doing it slowly. So in the 90s, he started to slowly implement more of a socialist more of a communist type of society and that crippled the economy and started to cause a lot of unemployment and hunger and and certain, um, you know, economic decline in the country. So it caused a lot of political turmoil for him, particularly with um, war veterans who started to revolt against the government because their pension funds were basically coming to nothing. And these were people that had fought in the Revolutionary War. Right, right. So, um, so basically, at that point, they decided that they were going to turn the attention away from the government to the white farmers. I mean, and, and that's, that's how I understood what took place there. So, you know, overnight, you know, white people and white farmers became the enemies of the country. And it was so again. How, how did they make them overnight the enemy? I, I should uh, just through remember. rhetoric. You know the uh, the rhetoric changed. So the rhetoric changed from you know we're coming together, black and white. We're going to move forward. We're going to move past colonialism. Yeah. And then the rhetoric changed to the reason why you know we're you're poor and the reason why things are falling apart in the country is because white people came to this country and stole your land. And they now own all these farms and the land and they own everything and you have nothing. Do you think that could have been influence of people over Mugabe or was it his own idea? Um, well, you know, that's a good question. 
You know, did he just spontaneously go crazy or was he targeted as let's take over this government like they are doing in the U.S. right now and turn it, you know, we'll use threats and promises and make the president change. I wouldn't be surprised if the West had had a hand in that, like maybe some Western influence. Yeah. Now, now that we look at how everything is not really coincidental, but I wouldn't really know to speak to that. Yeah, because they could have said, you know, it it would be too bad if something really bad happened to your family, but you'll make hundreds of millions of dollars and be secure if you just follow these speeches. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's very possible. I wouldldn't be surprised. Okay, but in any case, he he started fanning up racial tension and Mm -hmm. division and stuff like that. And at the time, the West actually condemned him for it. Right. So I don't know, but sometimes, you know, they they play both sides. So who knows? That's right. Um, So you were still there. You were still there at the time we're talking. Yeah, I was still there. I was probably a a teenager at the time. Okay. So, um, yeah, so he... So then, so even the West imposed sanctions on the country, and that only made things worse. And, I mean, which um, they know it will. I mean, anyone would understand that. Yeah, and that's the thing. It's like the the whole sanction thing is 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 usually meant to destroy the people, not the the leaders, because because it never affects the leaders. It always affects the um, the the local population. Yeah. Population, which it did. So a combination of the sanction, the Western sanctions. The seizure of, um, you know, private property and the farms, the commercial farms, which were driving the economy, the Zimbabwean economy. So um, it just made sure of creating a disaster it with the sanctions. What's the language situation over there? What language are people speaking in Zimbabwe? Uh, we have two native languages, Shona and Debele, and then we have, um, and then English is the official language. So English is the official language that everybody learns. So when so you start... So you're fluent in three languages, basically, right? No, I'm fluent in two. <laughs> okay. I don't speak the other uh, language, the other okay. native language. Yeah. So I speak English and Shauna fluently. Okay. Mm-hmm. Neat. So when did the economy start falling apart where the money became gradually worthless? That would have been in 2000. It started around 2000 and around 2000. Okay. Around 2000, and it just, it, it started out gradual. So at one point, the Zimbabwean dollar was so strong that it was as strong as the British pound. Wow, this I is didn't probably know that. in the 80s. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then um, as time went by, I remember when I was younger, like one US dollar was maybe something like maybe eight Zimbabwean dollars. So it had gone down quite a bit by then. Yeah, it had gone by the time that I was kind of aware of it. Mm -hmm. It was one is to eight. And then I remember in the year 2000, it started to be like one is to 36. And everybody was like freaking out, like, oh, my God, what is happening? Our currency is just devaluing against the U.S. dollar. And this was before any of the actual economic turmoil actually hit. And then... um, yeah, and then it just became gradual. And then once once that whole uh, political upheaval happened, it just the inflation just got ridiculous. I mean, it went from one is to thirty six to one is to five thousand, one is to two million, one is to a wow. hundred billion, one is to a trillion. <laughs> how how much was Zimbabwe depending on imported material to survive? Oh, everything was imported. 
Okay. So it, it was just wow. ridiculous. So there was a period where we had nothing on the shelves because obviously we could not exchange our currency. So if you're a business, let's say you're trying to buy, you know, import goods, you have to get U.S. dollars to import those goods because you right. can't use U.S. dollars. You can't so use Zimbabwean dollars to pay for something that is coming from out of the country. So, so it just about cuts money. off all the supplies from outside. It cuts off all the supplies um, or it makes it really expensive because now, you know, you're looking at very high prices. So people would would buy money on the black market because you can go to a bank. You can go to a bank and say, okay, here's, uh, you know, a hundred Zimbabwean dollars. Can you give me U.S. dollars in exchange? You couldn't do that because there was no money at the bank. Where in that process did you get out? Well, um, so... Separately, uh, um, I was, it's pretty, um, what would I say? It's pretty common for middle-class people to send their kids to study abroad. So I didn't come as, as a fleeing person because when I was living in Zimbabwe, even though we had an economic collapse, it wasn't like a situation that I was like fleeing. It was like just part of my normal course of life that I was going to go to university in the United States and possibly come back. Right. Uh, but, but how could you not feel it if the money was not worth anything? Um, what do you mean feel it? Well, you said it was something you weren't feeling, right? Oh, no, we felt it. We felt it for sure. I mean, everything was collapsing around us, but it wasn't like a this is what I was actually talking to my husband about. It wasn't like a complete breakdown of society where you have riots and, you know, people are shooting each other for food. It wasn't like that. It was more of, more of people were finding out that their, you know, life savings are now pretty much worthless and can just maybe buy them a bag of groceries, but you could still get things on the black market. So people were hustling, you know, it was just, it was just and then we were going into the grocery store and it was harder to purchase things right um it was also um it was also um very difficult for us to find fuel so we would spend the night sleeping over in a fuel queue and so forth so it was just it was it was hard you were 19 when you left right (laughs) and you were going to school in the u.s Mm -hmm. and i I mean, people should watch your interview with Candace because that goes into a lot of detail about that. But um, if you can't get the money to buy food in the grocery store, what do you have to do to get a plane ticket when the money is crashing like that? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> that was a whole different thing. So because I'm a, my mother is a woman of faith, you know, she was just believing by faith. So there was in the natural, there was no way that I was com- coming to the United States to study. I mean, it was impossible. Right. But, you know, she's a woman of faith and she just trusted God would provide. And I think when you take that step of faith, God just starts to open up doors. And yeah. You start that- meeting the right people people and it doesn't have to be logical no it doesn't have to be logical. it was completely illogical but um literally the day before i was supposed to leave because back then you could book your ticket and then um your spot is reserved but you you didn't have to pay everything at the at the time uh that you book it so i had booked Mm -hmm. my ticket in advance i had my spot and my mom had been paying on it a little bit but she didn't really have the kind of money to to purchase the full ticket and then eventually she just, um, you know, ran into a friend 
who actually um, was living outside of the country and was paid in U.S. dollars. And she was able to give her U.S. dollars to pay for the ticket literally the day before I was supposed to leave. Wow. So, yeah. So I arrived in the United States by faith with a suitcase, a borrowed coat and $300 in my pocket. Wow. And I had to figure it out from there. <laughs> so faith was a requirement. You know. Faith was a requirement. And, you know, in Africa, people live by faith because, you know, things are not as easy. So now I've actually, I was telling my husband that I've, I'm not, I've become so Americanized because I was used to living by faith in Zimbabwe because wow. things are so hard. You know, I went to a private school in Zimbabwe and my mom was a single mom. She took me to private school by faith. You know, every month she had to figure out how she was going to pay for my school yeah. fees. And, and God made it happen Just somehow. figuring something is going to happen and make it possible. Right, exactly. Yeah. So we, so I've always grown up living by faith um, and not by sight. But now that I'm in America, I feel like I now just live by, you know, whatever I see because, you know, things are, things are great here, at least for now. It's still actually by faith in a way. It's just that it's not so obvious. Right, exactly. Right, because if things weren't provided by some higher power like that, we wouldn't have anything. Oh, yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I still live by faith, but not to the extent that, you know, I did back in Zimbabwe. Not feeling on the edge of annihilation every minute, right? <laughs> well, true. now, yes, for sure. Yeah. For sure. Now I feel like I need to go back to that walking by faith and living by faith. And well, everything. yeah, so things change in both countries. So what what's a summation of how things are in Zimbabwe now? Well, I mean, I can't really comment on it cuz I'm not there. Right. But um, you know, you know how it's been like everywhere with COVID, the COVID situation. Yeah. Yeah, I'm really involved in that because I've been an independent health scientist for since 1965 and I've been watching what's been happening with the whole COVID thing and you know, I it comes down to that decision that you've probably had to make too. Are you willing to say things that'll make you unpopular with everybody? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You have to be true to yourself. And that's one reason that I wanted to get to meet and talk to you is because I feel like you're a great example of that. And yes. you don't believe in the nonsense, you know, that people should fight each other based on the most ridiculous stuff. Like how dark is your skin color? Mm-hmm. What country did you come from? What social class are you in? Things like that. Those yeah. are irrelevant. Yes. You know, it's like if you look at who you are, bodies come and go. They really don't right. last very long. That's mm-hmm. like your your temporary costume. And you have yeah. to look inside a person like you were mentioning Martin Luther King's famous quote about the content of character with yes. your talk with Candace Owens. Uh-huh. And it's like that. You have to, not even the surface of somebody's eyes, but what's behind them. Right, absolutely. You know, and when you are looking at people like that, you can't be racist or anything like that. You can't be prejudiced against anybody for anything because you, you have to look at who they are. Right. And right. with the whole COVID thing, it's become, for anybody that really would look past the headlines and the criminal fraud that's involved in it, there's no evidence that there's any virus involved at all, but there is a lot of... um Evidence that there's a bioweapon paid by paid for by the U.S. Mm-hmm. at levels yeah. above the president. And, mm-hmm. you know, you talk a lot about Trump and I've been excommunicated by both sides, the for and against with Trump, because 
to me, it seems like he's a great person, you know, because of much of what he's done and incredible courage to stand mm-hmm. against the media, to come out endorsing a pro-life stance at a mm-hmm. con- big convention and uh, wanting to make the country energy self-sufficient, which he did. But the whole Q movement, which is another week-long discussion, was saying <laughs> he knows everything and he's just this ultimate wise leader. And they turned out to be misinformation, just like the media is on the other side. Mm-hmm. So that the Trump is a God people and the Trump is evil people. We're both taking the lazy way out yeah. of saying somebody is all good or all bad. Right. And right. it seems to me, honestly, that he's a great person because of how he stood against so many things that are false, mm-hmm. against tremendous pressure for five years. Mm-hmm. But he made huge fatal mistakes, mm-hmm. which he's not admitting at this point. Yeah. He's doubling down on them. Mm-hmm. And it's, it looks like, I mean, mistakes that kill millions of people, pretty serious. Because mm-hmm. the injections right now have nothing to do with preventing any diseases. Yeah, They're killing mass numbers of people with yeah. no benefit. And all these mask things and stuff like that. It's mm-hmm. clearly to destroy the country. And it's international. Yeah. And yes. I wish we could get Trump to take the next step in personal development, which is a mm-hmm. big one. Because mm-hmm. the same ego strength that allowed him to stand against the media without failing Mm-hmm. is making it impossible for him to m- admit a mistake. Yes. And we need somebody good, you know, as a leader like that. But That is so true, yeah. I think uh, one of his greatest strengths is also his biggest weaknesses. Yeah, it's but, really um, hard to say. I, I, I'm so- sorry about killing millions of people thing. You know, I didn't really mean to. And, yeah, and uh, yeah, let's see. We're in a tough spot right now because even though it is such a fatal mistake, I still feel like he is probably the the one person that can probably win against at least run and actually fight against. Because I I hear a lot of people talk about DeSantis and DeSantis is great. But I don't think he has the level of bravado it's going to take to really take this on. Yes, I feel like even though. Sorry, what's that? Much more reserved in his character. Yes. So I still think that, you know, Trump is still the best horse we have. He's not per- definitely far from perfect, but um, I don't know. Who knows? I mean, God is in control. He may yeah. raise somebody else up. And exactly. as far as I can see right now, that's that's pretty much Trump has the personality, the guts to go up. <laughs> up the, the courage, him. the guts, the charisma and everything mm-hmm. are great. It's just that the money, the yeah, everything. He's he's got a he's got a a track record of trusting murderers, which is a problem. Mm -hmm. You know, he tends to hire them in his own cabinet, things like that. And it's not like in the Apprentice show, where he could see right through everybody and just tell them they're fired. You know, his friends who have been in meetings with him say he lets these lawyers that are obviously against him just scream at him and tell him how stupid he is, and he just accepts it. Really? It's not like in The Apprentice, yeah. Patrick oh, Brown is no Yeah, he's a nice person. Mm-hmm. All the stuff the media said about him was false. Mm-hmm. And another mistake that's so big it really needs to be corrected is that Trump caved into the media pressure that Russia is evil. 
Well, Putin's probably the only remaining large-scale national leader that's trying to be family-oriented, non-GMO, organic food production, mm-hmm. getting G- wireless radiation out of the classrooms, supporting uh, you know non-interventionist political uh, agendas and things like that. Wow, and I Trump, didn't know that. Yeah, he's, yes. if you listen to his speeches translated out of Russian, he's mm. saying all the things that sound original. Oh, yeah, American. I listened to, I listened to part of that speech. Yeah, that was, that was very interesting. It's all good. And he's, mm. he doesn't even use a teleprompter most of the time. Yeah. It's pretty striking. And Trump was told that if, by his advisors, I think, that if you're cooperative with Russia, it's going to prove you're a Russian agent and evil. Mm. That has to be reversed because right now there's a, we're on the brink of war. No, oh, yeah. You know, and Russia's not doing it. And all the media is saying Russia's attacking. The media is wow. a big problem. It really is. It anyway, really sorry is. for the long interlude, but. Um, oh, no, you're fine. I would love to see Trump make a couple of corrections if that's mm-hmm. possible. Yeah, that would be good. Um, once you got here, you know, I, I wish we had a few more hours. Maybe you can come back at some point. But, <laughs> um, one of the issues that, that came up when you came here and you got into was the whole built on the racism idea that is being pushed on the American mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. It's not intrinsically coming from the mass of people. It's being engineered mm-hmm. through the media and the government agencies and things. And that's sometimes referred to as critical race theory. Yes. So what would you tell people that is? Well, yeah, it is definitely manufactured because when I came to the United States, um, you know, 18 years ago, race wasn't even a topic. Right, you know, it wasn't right. even something that was anybody ever talked about. This is all very new. And by mm-hmm. new, I mean relatively new because I started to notice it in the second term of Obama. Yeah, I started to I started to notice the references, the division, the divisive language, and the and um, now looking back at it, I understand that he's a cultural Marxist, and that's what cultural Marxists do. And critical race theory is actually neo Marxism. In researching for my book, is what I discovered is that that's where it comes from. It, it comes from critical theory, which came from Karl Marx in Germany. Right. And basically, it is. Divide and conquer race. Uh, well, divide and conquer politics. You divide people into oppressed versus oppressor mm-hmm. in order to destabilize a country. So you see that happening here in the United States using race, whereas in other countries like in Russia, they used economics. So, yeah. Now, when you say Marxism, are you equating that with communism or is there a difference? No, it's pretty much the same. Okay. So, Carl, um, so Marxism is communism it's just a uh, marx marx came up with a lot of the ideas of how to achieve it so cultural marxism is um is the use of culture you know to as a means to get to communism so so for example black lives matter they actually say they're they profess themselves to be marxists yeah exactly so they're using culture so you you see how the culture in america has changed and has become very racial right yeah and it's so interesting there that they were so well funded mm-hmm. and it makes you wonder you know it, the immediate question who's doing this because mm-hmm. those guys were just reading a script 
Yes. And getting really well paid for it. Yes. I actually have a Go ahead. I have a full chapter in my book where I follow the money and basically it's not an it's not an organic organization. They do very little if any in fact they don't do anything of substance for the black community. They've raised billions yeah. of dollars or hundreds of millions and none of that money has actually gone to do anything that actually helps the black community. There are no schools that have been built or after school programs or nothing right. like that. Most of it goes to things that are mostly geared towards far left, um, uh, far left causes like abortion and LGBTQ yeah. stuff. And that's, that's where most of the money goes. So really it's just a front organization that is really controlled that poses as, as anti-establishment, but really it is the establishment. Right. So what's the establishment trying to do and why? Well, they're trying to racially use race as a way to divide and conquer America from within. So it causes a lot of destabilization. One of the things they're trying to do is to remove national identity. And these are things that um, communists do. For for communism to work, first of all, they have to remove national identity. They have to remove your history. They have to remove your culture. They have to replace the idea of family and if you look at if you look at black lives matter one of their stated goals is to destroy the black is to destroy the black family they actually put that in writing didn't they (laughs) they actually put that on their website and when everybody made a big deal out of it they they deleted it so mm -hmm. so it makes you wonder what the people are thinking who are the mouthpieces of it I forget mm-hmm. their names. A couple of women were in charge of it, I think. I, uh, Patrice mm-hmm. Colors is right. one of them. And she is actually on video stating that she is a cultural Marxist. Yeah. So, you know, if she were ever in an honest conversation with somebody, it would be interesting to ask her, what are you going to get? Well, I guess we know what she was going to get from that. She's got huge mansions and mm-hmm. plenty of money in the bank. But aside from that, why do you believe in that? What, do you have any imagined idea what she would say? You know what? That's the thing that I wonder, because I see a lot of these people that are going along with the system. And I wonder, are they just ignorant or, or do they know and they feel like they have a seat at the table? So someone like Patrice Cullors, I can't tell whether she's, she just really believes that, you know, Marxism and, and communism is going to be good for black people and she's going to be fine. Or if she's somebody who actually understands communism, but feels like she has a seat at the table. So she's going to be one of the elites that's going to be exempt from the, you know, um, <laughs> the, the shared poverty is what really Marxism is. So you have yeah. a tiny, rich elite at the top, and then everybody else is equal, but they're equally poor. They kind of forget to go into that detail mm-hmm. for the public. But yes. one of the famous slogans of communism is, um, from each according to their ability to each according to their need. Have you heard that before? No, I haven't. Yeah, I don't remember if that was Marx or Lenin and, or who said that, but it's really famous. And the idea is that don't worry, there's no stress or pressure, no competition. Whatever you're good at, you can just contribute that. And whatever you need, the government will just give it to you. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people are attracted to communism, students and things that are being trained to that now. Because yeah. everything you need is going to be free. 
you know, and one, one aspect of that is the universal basic income idea, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Where, no, you don't earn any money anymore and you won't own anything, but you will be really happy according to the World Economic Forum. Right. And, right. And, but everything you need will be brought to you by a drone and you won't have to pay for it and you'll just rent it all. But the only detail they forget to mention is that this is a new digital money system that they're coming up with now Mm -hmm. as they crash the U.S. dollar like they did in Zimbabwe. Mm -hmm. And the idea is that you get your money, don't worry, you don't have to work or anything nasty like that. But if you don't believe the right thing, we'll just switch off your money for your benefit so that you'll learn what's acceptable. Right. Total control. Total control. Total control. No, I mean, what we're seeing is a, uh, um, a shifting from one economic type of system to another. You know, like you said, the Great Reset, and it's basically global communism is what it's going to be. Exactly. And they, they have already um, convinced, I feel like now they feel like they have convinced enough people to where they can put it into place because they have spent all this time in education breaking down you know the um the american culture so that's why i call it cultural marxism is you break the culture down because american culture was all about hard work you know uh, achievement and um you know things like that and now the culture is becoming this you know entitlement the government owes me stuff and uh, the government is the solution for everything. Exactly. And, and you see this even amongst, um, you know, the Overton window has moved so far that even when you talk to, you know, conservatives, they still feel like, you know, it's the government should be doing this and whatnot. One of the things uh-huh. like education, it blows my mind that conservatives outsource education of their children to the government. That just blows my mind. that's one of the biggest danger to children now is government and doctors i would say are the two biggest threats yes you know because in in schools i mean if you put your hand your kids over to the government schools or even most private schools now Mm -hmm. they're in mental and physical and emotional danger yes they are but um i i think education is one of the biggest um responsibilities that we have as parents parents yeah not the the state not the state and i see that a lot of conservatives feel like the solution is going to harass the government to tell them to do what they want them to do you know like we're gonna go to the school boards i'm like just leave (laughs) look at the people that they find to be on the school boards yeah it's like i don't even know you know where they get those people It's like everything else. I mean, when you look at government in anything else, it is a disaster. So why would anyone think that education is any different? Because you look at government, um, you know, healthcare. you look at the government's handling of just, you know, the post office versus, you know, using FedEx or or UPS. It's like night and day. It's the same with education. But now it's gotten so bad that, you know, it. It should be a priority for for every conservative and Christian to get their kids out of this system. Maybe four years ago, I may not have been this, um, you know, harsh with my rhetoric against the public schools. But four years ago, they weren't teaching 
LGBT uh, transgenderism. Now they are. <laughs> I know. So it's, it's no longer a safe place for your children to be in. They now, they, four years ago, they, they probably weren't teaching critical race theory, teaching your child that if they're white, they're evil, they're racist. Yeah, we should have mentioned what critical race theory is, is really simple. If you're black, you're a victim. Mm-hmm. I mean, black and white, I think those are ridiculous terms because yeah. I've never run into a person who's white or black. Mm-hmm. There are all these different shades of colors, you know, yeah. <laughs> but they have to make them opposites. So they have right. to fight, right? Mm-hmm. And critical race theory is you're one of these two opposite groups, either the victim or the evil people. Yeah. And you have to hate each other. Ready, go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And that that's what they're teaching in schools now. I mean, mm-hmm. this is very new. It's probably, I would say, maybe the last four years, particularly after 2020 with the George Floyd uh, thing. They just they just use that as a way to put it into the entire school curriculum, even yeah. in ways that are very subtle that you may not even catch because, you know, you have some parents who say, well, my school is not really doing that. But in very subtle ways, they, they've they already started that indoctrination of, of um, critical race theory. So the, it's really, at this point, too dangerous to have your kids in those schools, right? Yes. Yes, I would say that. So what do you tell parents to do if they see that and, and are working 40 hours a day and don't know what to do? Well, if they're a person of faith, I would say, um, you know, they need to trust the Lord, you know, and and most of, I mean, when I speak, I'm mostly speaking to Christians and conservatives Okay. because I feel like if we're going to change the country, we can't change the devil. We can't change, we can't change what the devil's doing. The devil's always going to do what he's doing, but it's when we change, it's when we start to make changes in our own lives as Christians that things begin to change. So we have to start with ourselves, start with our own children and saying, you know what, Lord, I need to get my kid out of the public school system. I'm going to put my trust in you. And I'm, I'm speaking um, as somebody who does it, you know, it's a, it's a sacrifice. You know, my kids go to a a Christian private school. um, Which you still have to stay in touch with. Oh, which you still have to be very, um, oh, yeah, just putting them in a Christian school is not the end of it. You have to be involved in your children's education, and you have to stay on top of it, because they were actually at a school where, you know, they started trying to bring in this critical race theory stuff, and we had to nip it in the bud, and we had to rise up as parents. And eventually, I mean, we were able to root it out, but... You know, some parents were threatening to leave the school, but you you have a lot more leverage when you're in a Christian school to do stuff like that. But if yeah, you're in a public, as long school, as you stay in touch with it and stay in charge. But and I would to. say, as far as you know, speaking to Christians and conservatives, mm-hmm. none of the kids really deserve to be abused, mm-hmm. right? And if they get born into a family with whatever religion, they're still victimized by the schools. So I would I would just put it a little bit more broadly, maybe, and say only for the parents that care about their kids. 
Yes, yes, right. absolutely. Whatever religion yes. they might be. No, I mean, I would love for every kid in America to be out of the public school system. But I'm like, the low-hanging fruit right now is a conservative and a Christian who knows what's going on in this in these schools. Yeah, because at it's least they have a belief that, in that direction that you're supposed to take care of your kids and things Right, like that. exactly. So I'm just dealing with the low-hanging fruit. But I mean, ultimately, if I could have it my way, I would shut down the entire public school system <laughs> yeah. and start a, a, a private school system that is, um, you know, that is actually more diverse with different way, different ways of schooling. Cause this has been like a one size fits all, just like with everything government, you know, right. Government healthcare is one size fits all. Everything is one size fits all with government. So there's so many different uh, types of education that, you know, children can have. And then also having just patriotic education that gets kids to understand what America is all about. And that's one of the biggest tragedies of the public school systems is this entire generation don't even know what it means to be an American and what a blessing it is. Right. As somebody who comes from outside of the country, who has lived in a third world country, who has lived outside of what America is and lived in America, I can tell you that you live in the best country in the entire world yeah. probably the best country in history <laughs> it's certainly so, in the known in the known history because if you go back over a few thousand years of history mm-hmm. it's a history of of wars and oppression yeah. yeah not not just of black people but of everybody of everybody yeah and they're trying to do it again now in a really serious way mm-hmm. yeah absolutely this is like an opportunity and a kind of a turning point right one it way or the other. Point. It is a turning point, and it's actually scary to watch. Um, to watch what's going on, and, and know that you know, if America falls, then there's really nowhere else to to run to. Yeah, so. it's not that the people in America were ever perfectly living up to the ideals, but no. the ideals were put on paper. Mm-hmm. You know that everybody is. Um, kind of a divine being made by God with certain rights that because they come from God, they can't be taken away. Yes. You can't make a law. In fact, and this is, I'm watching the time carefully because I'm not going to keep you too long. No worries. um, You know, you can't have an emergency that justifies taking away unalienable rights. Mm -hmm. Even if the pandemic were real, and it wasn't a bioweapon like it is. If it was a real virus, it, if that actually existed in this situation, which it hasn't been shown to, mm-hmm. you still can't take away people's rights. You no. could say, look, 90% of you are probably going to die, according to our figures. And we recommend that you hide in your bathroom for two years. But they can't make you do it. They can't, yeah, mm-hmm. because the rights come from God. That's and right. that's what's if, been- there's no emergency great enough to do that. There is no emergency. You're absolutely right. That is so true. But, you know, there, um, yeah, and that's, that's that basic premise that you just mentioned, that one thing that makes America unique and exceptional and why it's the greatest country on earth because of that basic principle that you're an individual, a spiritual being created by God, and you have rights that have been given to you by your creator. And no one can tell you what to do. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Nobody and no government. 
Right. And I think that's been forgotten. And the, one of the reasons it could be forgotten is that they haven't taught what they used to call civics in school for generations. Mm-hmm. And that was deliberate. Yeah. And in the, in the founding documents of America, they said that these are not just like a chosen people and rights for you alone. Mm-hmm. This is rights for everybody. Right. You could be born on the moon and you're still from God. Yes. You know, you have the same rights. Mm -hmm. And it was individual countries cooperating ideally with those same rights of all the people. And I think when the UN was founded in 45, I think it was, or was it right after that? I think it was 45. And um, they said this is the ideal principle of everybody cooperating, but they changed it from individual countries to world citizenship. And they're trying to push toward world government right now. Yeah. With the illusion that it's everybody cooperating and being happy. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And the crazy thing is I used to read about all of this because as a child growing up, I used to be really fascinated with the end times, you know, theology. Mm -hmm. I used to love reading the book of Revelations. And I always pictured like it was a distant time in the future that I wouldn't even be around to witness. Right. So it's it's crazy now watching it actually take place in my lifetime. (laughs) And I'm like It is. Wow. Yeah. You know, I just that's how I was able to recognize it. I don't want to assume that we're out of chances at this point. To make things yes. better now, because when it's all over, fine, that, you know, it can be all over and we, everybody mm-hmm. can be fine. But we don't have an absolute, I don't think, time guarantee of exactly no. what year what happens. Right. So as long right. as we're, today we're alive and we're still on this planet in physical bodies, it seems like everything we can do, we should do. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I don't feel that... Um, you know, this is the end, you know, as they call it. <laughs> we'll know when it's the end because we won't be here anymore. Right. Exactly. Right. Exactly. I still feel like it's a battle between ver- good versus evil. And one thing that gives me hope is that this country was founded on um, by people who dedicated this country to the Lord. And because of that, I, I, I believe that the Lord will honor that covenant and we'll intervene because that's that's the one thing that's going to save us is divine intervention from the Lord. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it's hard to see much else that would do it at this point. But you know, even if we have a microscopic chance of turning things around on our side, agreements, you know, covenants and things like that, they usually have two sides, mm-hmm. and we're supposed to be upholding our part. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. So, and I, I think there's, it's too easy to demonize whatever the other side is. And it, what it looks like to me is massive mind control and hypnosis. Mm-hmm. You know, so people on, who believe in critical race theory and believe in your border should be open to be diverse, even if it destroys your country, it's the non-racist thing to do. I mean, really insane ideas like that. Mm-hmm. Underneath all of their crazy programming, they're actually human beings that come from God. Yes. And if you can communicate with them at that level, I don't know. I don't know whether it'll work or not, but I'd like to see us try. Yeah, that, that, that's a you good know, way of yeah. looking at it. Because sometimes we forget that, you know, these are, these are 
people that are really just victims at the end of the day, victims of some I think serious so. mind control. I think that's a brilliant insight that mm-hmm. the, the apparent villains, and I've actually applied this all the way up to the top of the power structure, human and non-human, and I look at every level, I don't see intrinsic evil. It's like under all of that programming, which can be really horrible, mm-hmm. obviously, to the point where you can't communicate on a human level because they'll just eat you. Yeah. Um, underneath that, like a a prisoner in this huge tower that's got multiple walls around it and everything, mm-hmm. is still spirit. Yeah. And I think we can get strong enough to reach it. I don't know until we do, but mm-hmm. that's the only way I can see it to stop this situation is defections from the bad side. Yes. And that's what I'm praying for that there's just because the Bible does say that there will be an end time, you know, awakening and revival. So I feel like we're, we're at the beginning of that because I'm starting to see a lot of people that were very deep into the mind control are starting to break out of it. You know, people that are very prominent, you know, People like mm-hmm. Joe Rogan, people like yeah. Elon Musk. <laughs> yeah, you know, Elon, I'd like to see Elon apologize for the satellite thing about radiating the Earth with 5G from space. I think it'd be good to kind of undo that. Well, Elon is definitely, I wouldn't say he's he's on our side. I would just say that I don't see it as somebody who's, I don't see him as somebody who's evil, I see him as somebody who thinks that technology is the answer because he's he's very much into technology. Yeah. He doesn't see God as the answer like we do because we're believers. Right. He sees technology as the answer to to the evil and everything that we're seeing. So he thinks okay, they're going to have AI and all these things so so the solution is we also need to merge with with machines so we can right. compete with the AI and so forth. Go to the mall and get a brain chip. Yeah, exactly. And and he he just sees that as his solution. So I don't I don't completely uh shut him off cuz he's been really vocal about a lot of things that Yeah. Are and he doesn't have to give up technology. He could just understand technology can be made human friendly. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be antagonistic. I mean, brain chip technology is really not the only way to go. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I I don't know. I think some of these divisions, it's just because people are fighting over semantics. Like on on the leftist side, a lot of them think they believe in environmental causes, mm-hmm. and they don't see that it's being twisted into an enslavement tool. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean there's no real environmental concern, right? You know, you don't have to fill up the ocean with plastic and spent masks. <laughs> that shouldn't depend on whether you're right or left about that. Right, right. Everything could be made recyclable. Yeah, that's true. Stuff like that. So maybe we have common ground. We do. So with the people that are thinking that critical race, well, I'm looking at both critical race theory and what you were describing as the Marxism agenda. Mm-hmm. And I think part of the reason that people fall for the Marxism is they think it's going to end the evil capitalism and the evil rich people and give everybody everything free. Mm, no, is, did they fall for that in Zimbabwe or did it just get imposed on them? Um, 
You know what? I think there was um, a big segment of the population that did fall for it. So I think it was a combination. Okay. Yeah. I mean, when it's being sold, it sounds great. You know, I mean, it's, it's like we're going to take, you know, from these oppressive people and give it to these people, you know. Exactly. So it, it sounds great because, um, you know, it sounds like an injustice is being the but evil then rich nobody people thinks stole everything. What's that? We're being told that the evil rich people stole everything, and that's the problem. Right, exactly. And, and that's the thing. It's like people then just use emotion and don't think two, three, four steps ahead. Like, okay, so if we seize this from, you know, let's say the rich people, which mm-hmm. is what they uh, were doing in France, they basically said anyone who makes a million dollars or more, uh, we're going to tax 100% of anything above a million dollars. So what does right. that do? Um, rich people are going to leave, you know, so they leave. But then what that does is it collapses the, the economy because those rich people were employing um, a lower level class, maybe just a low, slightly lower than they are. The lawyers, they're lawyers, they're, you know, um, engineers, they're architects you know, that level. Yeah. And then those people were, are, are now also employing a lower level, maybe the, you know, the, um, what can I say? The service class, you know? So there's like yeah. levels of the economy that are completely affected by removing these so-called rich people right. that you hate, you know, either they leave or you want them to just go away, but they're actually part of the functioning society of that capitalist system. Yeah. And I think capitalism has been inflated, uh, conflated with um, crony crap capitalism, which is what every time I hear people describe why they hate capitalism, uh-huh. they're describing crony crap capitalism, where, yeah. you know, governments and mega corporations come not together. Not a real free market. It's not a real free market. And that's what we have in America. We don't have a purely capitalist society. We have a no. very crony capitalist society and now it's becoming uh, more in view now as we see the way big pharma and big tech and you yeah. know all these big corporations now interact with the government and they're now just becoming they're, they're basically merged before our very eyes and are now working as the same type right. of entity and, and that's the kind of capitalism that we want to get away from yeah and it's it's something different and you can see right now as far as the money system goes there's a quick project in force to destroy the money completely. Mm-hmm. All you do, in fact, just printing it in unlimited volume would do that. Yeah. But, but if you do that in conjunction with shutting down production, which mm-hmm. they've used COVID as an excuse to do, you get quicker, massive hyperinflation. Yes. And that's, that's exactly what happened in Zimbabwe too. You know, um, Massive printing, massive spending. So you're just seeing the same thing play out over here, you know. Um, and like you said, now you take away the production and also the war on energy that is being waged right exactly. now. Exactly. You put those three things together, it's it's not going to be pretty. No, I guess they're saying uh, to the people that don't think much about it that this is to save the environment, right? That's why the evil oil is being shut down. Yes, but they don't tell people that what is the consequence of that. 
<laughs> yeah, you just starve to death, but you do save the world. Except you don't really save anything. You 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 save. <laughs> it is going to cause a lot of poverty and starvation and devastation. And the the reason why a third world country is a third world country is because of a lack of energy. Yeah, and that's one good America- thing that Trump did too. Yeah, is he made that's the country how you energy wealth is energy. Yeah, I think that was great. Yeah. You know, and and the solar and wind is not at a state to take over at all right now. That's no. a way to crash everything. Now, there are much more advanced energy technologies that are clean, and they're all suppressed. Mm-hmm. And people that try to bring them out get killed. Yes. You know, engines run on water. And that's been demonstrated. And really? an inventor, yeah, all over the country. There's a guy named, I don't want to monopolize the last few minutes, but this is interesting. There's a man named Stanley Meyer who figured out how to separate hydrogen from oxygen, which is well known, but he did it with less energy so that the net was positive. And he did that under the hood of a car and drove all over the country in what's called a dune buggy uh, on just water. Wow. So he was killed and all his technology was stolen. So it's not a lack of research. That's all known. Well, I know Nikolai Tesla came up with some sort of an energy source. Right. That, um, you know, Sometimes called zero point or there's a lot of technologies developed around permanent magnets. You're not allowed to do anything with that. Wow. And it's the same people suppressing the real health information, mm-hmm. you know, especially now about vaccines. And I, when I did the research on vaccines back to their start in the UK in 1796, there's actually no evidence that they've ever prevented diseases at all. Wow. Which is generally unknown. And wow. so there's a there's a cartel in charge that's way above energy and even above banking, using banking yes. and energy and things. Mm-hmm. And they're from a religious point of view, and this is one I happen to agree with, they're performing a ceremonial sacrifice of the biosphere. Mm-hmm. And the reason we have some time is they have a protocol. And if they don't do the steps right, they think they don't get the reward. Because mm. they have the technology to kill us overnight, and they're not doing that. Wow. It's systematic. That's what I wondered, because my husband and I have had this discussion, like, these people could literally just turn off the lights today and completely destroy everybody. So what That's are right. they waiting for? Let's do it. <laughs> they, could, they could put EMPs all over the world. Yeah. Electromagnetic pulse and shut off the entire electric grid worldwide tomorrow. Yes, and people would be dead within a week. Yeah, they are clearly not doing that. So why do you think that is? That that's very interesting to me because that's what I've I've always wondered because I figure I figured out how powerful they are, how they're able to do all these things, but I wonder like what is stopping them from just getting it done, you know? The goal, I mean... You'll forgive me if we run a couple minutes over, right? Yeah, no, I'm fine. I'm actually fine till about, uh, let's see, 1245-ish, yeah. Okay, so we're all right. Because I think this is kind of important stuff, right? Mm -hmm. I'm counting on us to do the most we can to reverse this thing. And it's highly coordinated right now. Mm -hmm. And I think it's coordinated from the top, which is not human. But the the non-human level is, is controlling the top families that control the banks and other things below them. Mm-hmm. And at each level is given a different motive yes. because the ones down below 
at the bottom, like in the universities where they're learning to kill people with public health and stuff like that. They believe that they're saving the world. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> they're mostly really good people. Yeah. They don't know that they're going crazy. Yep, that's true. Above that at the levels of corporate rulership is money and power. Mm-hmm. And they they don't really know about the population reduction too much. Okay. The top level and the bankers do know about it. Mm-hmm. And they think that they're going to be in the elite remnant mm-hmm. that's going to have the world as their playground. And they believe in the Georgia Guidestones mm-hmm. that ten, you know, half a billion people will be left. Mm-hmm. And they think that'll certainly include them in ruler positions. Yeah. Above that, they know none of that's true. And that it's a total extermination plan. And it's satanic. Mm-hmm. Not in the sense of memorizing some satanic scripture, but for real satanic, where they contact uh, non-human entities that are very mm-hmm. dark and they tell them what to do. And we've had wow. people that can attest to that in personal experience. And uh, that's the top levels. And I think what they're doing, <clears throat> and I'm not infallible on any of this, I could be wrong, but mm-hmm. I spent many decades digging into it. And yeah. what I think is happening <clears throat> is that they are going by the doctrine of sacrifice, mm-hmm. which says you find an innocent being, animal, person, dove, virgin, child, great mm-hmm. spiritual teacher, whoever is innocent, and you kill them, but not you don't just come up and shoot them. Mm-hmm. You, you do a protocol and a, a system where you gradually destroy them. Mm-hmm. And you, you know, if it's an animal, you cut their throat the right way and all this stuff. Yeah. And they think that that makes God really happy, mm-hmm. especially if it's a very innocent being. And you get spiritual rewards. Right. And these guys said, wow, that's right up our alley. It sounds great. Yeah. Maximum suffering, all these rewards. And, they're do- and what would be the biggest ceremonial sacrifice they could do? Oh, yeah, the whole biosphere. So the sacrificial animal is all life on the planet, including themselves, a suicide mission. And for obvious reasons, they don't bring everybody into that understanding Mm -hmm. because it might damage morale of their servants. (laughs) Yeah. Right? To know, hey, wait a minute. We're supposed to be the ones left, right? (laughs) And so I think that's what they know at the top, and that's what they're doing. And they're accelerating now because of the organization. And the fact that they feel like they're near victory. Mm. But they have a weak spot, which is was my interest in. All right, how do you did you see the Star Wars movies? No, I haven't. The original I ones were pretty symbolic and interesting. Which ones? The new ones? No. The new ones probably have all kinds of propaganda and brainwashing. Okay. You mean the the, yeah, the, original, the original three is a okay. trilogy. Yeah, there was a, a this space station, this big malevolent space station uh called the Death Star. Mm-hmm. And it was going to blow up planets. That was its big mission in life. Mm-hmm. And it had one weak spot. And if they could get shoot some kind of a weapon into that spot, the whole thing would be destroyed. Yeah. And that's how I see the cartel that's in charge of the world right now. Yes. And I think their weak spot is exploitable by us. But it, it's a certain internal state that we have to get to, which happens to be what we're supposed to do anyway. You know, which brings us into harmony with God, not in a mm-hmm. memorized belief system, but for like for real mm-hmm. experiencing yourself as made in the image of God and letting it flow through you in a certain way. 
So it doesn't look religious as much as spiritual, meaning in touch with who you and your source really are. And I think that's their biggest fear. And so there are ways to do that that are, I think, really important, you know, for those reasons. And that's the biggest fear of the power structure. So they have to keep us unconscious Mm -hmm. of who we really are and prevent that until the protocol for the sacrifice is finished. Mm -hmm. And that's when I see, you know, when they plan on eliminating life. Because they think they'll get the reward on a non-physical plan. Wow. So just, you know, so far that's my impression of it. But because of that, I'm interested in things we can specifically do. And it's not instead of, you know, education physically and writing Mm -hmm. the books and doing all this great stuff. It's at the same time. An inner state of awareness. Yes. Not a belief system, because there's so many beliefs, and people are still running the same antagonistic propaganda in their own minds, which is spreading mm-hmm. around. It's changing what your mind is doing. So, yes. anyway, we'll see. It's it's just talk until it's demonstrated. Mm-hmm. But but I, that's what I'd like to see happen. Well, that's, I, a, that's a really insightful way of looking at it. Very uh, Anytime you get interested in that, you know, I'll share with you whatever you want. Okay. Because there are, there are specific things that can be done with it. Okay. But what I'd, or with anybody listening, but what I'd really like to focus on for a couple minutes now before we do the separate group session mm-hmm. is um, your book. Because I want to know, I want to know more the essence of the, what it steps through. Mm-hmm. And what would be good for people to get from it when they read it? Okay, yeah, absolutely. So, so, um, so the book basically breaks down what is going on with race in America. So okay. there's a way for people to understand it. So I wrote it so that people can, you know, spread the word with it, you know, and talk to other people. So I actually had somebody reach out to me. They sent out an email to me, and she said that she had never heard of me. She was, her neighbor gave her one of my books and she read it. Okay. So she felt compelled to send me an email. So she went on my website, looked me up, went on my website, sent me an email. She said that when all this stuff was happening, you know, with the George Floyd tragedy and how people reacted to it and all of this stuff and, you know, all the fallout that happened from that. She said she felt like, you know, she's not a racist person. She's, she's, she, she loves uh, everybody. Uh-huh. In fact, she she mentions that you know one of her granddaughters is 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 half black, so she's okay. got absolutely no problems with the race. Um, she just sees everybody like you and I do, you know, sees people yeah. for who they truly are. But she said that when she started to hear these <sighs> things that were happening, it, it felt wrong to her, but she couldn't put her finger on it because you know you and I we keep up with with politics. Uh-huh. We know what's going on. We're awake. But for the average person, you know, who just goes about their life, they're really just concerned about, you know, going to work, mm-hmm. feeding their kids, you know, taking a vacation a year, watching football. Yeah. You know, that's the average person. They're not like interested in like getting in deep into politics and, you know, analyzing things like we are, you know. They're trusting so that-, that those people are doing a good job. Right. So they have outsourced their way of looking at the word to just maybe turning on the news for 30 minutes a day, CBS, ABC or whatever. And whatever they hear from that is their perception 
of the world. You know, that 30 minutes a day that they yeah, just tune into the news. And that's the average it. American, you know. So, and unfortunately, that, you know, short 30 minutes or an hour of whatever news or, or maybe now it's seeing it on social media. Most of that is fed from, you know, the people we've been talking about. You know? Yeah, exactly right. It's programming. Yes. It's programming. So she was not a political person. You know, she's just living her life. Then this happens. And obviously she feels, you know, like, okay, I want to help black people because she's being told that because she's white. Okay. She's the reason why black people are suffering. I mean, that, that was the narrative that was yeah. put out there. The police um, are hunting them down everywhere and just killing them all. Right. So she has a duty now to apologize and feel guilty and blah, blah, blah. So that's the message that was put out to the average person who doesn't really pay attention to all these things. Okay. So when she got the book, she said that it completely made her understand why she felt so uncomfortable about what was happening in the country. Cause she didn't feel like she felt like she needed to feel guilty or, you know, and, and all those feelings. Right. So for her, it was a way for her to understand what is really going on. What is behind all of this that is happening and to be able to connect the dots. Cause a lot of these things that are happening in the world, they just seem like they're just random things that are just happening and they're all organic and so forth. So the book, what it really does is, is it, it makes you understand that all these things that are happening, they're not organic and they're not random. These are things that are being orchestrated for an end. Right. So I really wanted to write a book that was simple enough for even a 15-year-old to read and understand and be able to connect those dots so that they can understand what the bigger agenda is without even going into any of the conspiracy, you know, deep Mm -hmm. stuff that we've been talking about, just talking about it from a basic level of what's really going on, things that are verifiable. So I Mm -hmm. talk about how, you know, Black Lives Matter is not an organization that does anything for the Black community. It's actually a self-professed Marxist organization that is hell bent on breaking down the black family, which is one thing that is completely, that is actually a true reason why the black community is falling apart is because of the breakdown of the family. And now we are getting some equality now because they're breaking down everybody else's family too. They're breaking down everybody else's family. So they started out with the black community. Now it's moving on to everybody else. And you're starting to see the same issues that you've seen in the black community are now happening in white communities Um, Hispanic and everybody else. Why? Because of this breakdown of the family. So this is, these are the kinds of things I talk about. And I go back to history and talk about how, you know, the black community post slavery and before the 1960s was actually thriving at a time when white supremacy and racism actually existed. And the reason why they were thriving was because they couldn't depend on government. They had to create their own systems as a black person, you can go to a, a white dentist. Right. As a black person, you can go to a white theater. So they had to build their own theaters. They had to have their own dental schools, their own universities, their own. And they built all of that. And they yeah. were successful. And they had their families intact. And what happened in the 60s is that the um, the Democrat Party, which is the party of slavery and the KKK and Jim Crow, 
They that's figured not, out that. That's not commonly known, by the it's way. It's not commonly known, but I talk about it in my book, and a lot of people are waking up to this, like, well, I didn't even know that. Right. So then you understand that, you know, they, the Democrat Party wanted to use the black community to weaponize them for their own political gain. So they yeah. introduced welfare and all these things that were incentivized single motherhood, which eventually rendered the black man irrelevant. So now the black woman is not marrying the black man. She's marrying the government. The black man is no longer the provider of his family. He's now irrelevant. He's put in the school to prison pipeline, which, you know, the schools are completely run by the Democrat party. So I explain all these things to say, okay, you may think the, you're not helping any black person by, feeling guilty and giving money to black lives matter, all these things that the system is telling you to do out of guilt. If these people truly cared about the black people, they would completely change the school system because that's where they're failing them right now. Right. Because black kids are graduating, um, not knowing how to read at a third grade level, sometimes even kindergarten. So they're Mm -hmm. set up for failure from day one. And who's running this system? The very people that pretend and bow and kneel and do all of these things. So um, so the book, I just wanted to kind of lay all of that out because I know this because I, I follow politics. I'm a bit of a political geek. But seeing the ignorance that was around me at the time, I mean, the thing that pushed me to the edge to write a book because I have never thought about writing a book. Okay. But what really pushed me to the edge was seeing my own pastor that I had been under, you know, for years and right. served and all of that, writing about his white privilege on social media and putting Black Lives Matter decals on the church window. Wow. And I couldn't believe it. <laughs> That's actually not uncommon in it's a lot of churches. Uncommon. Yeah. And this, it wasn't just him. I mean, ministries evangelical ministries that I have given to and supported and followed, they were all doing the same thing. Yeah. And I realized it was out of ignorance. So I wrote the book so that I could um, hopefully get it into the hands of as many people as possible right. so they can read it and understand what is really going on and not to fall for, you know, the false narratives that are being fed to them. So now it'd be great to get it into the hands of all the heads of those churches too. Yes, yes, absolutely. And that I've been doing that. I've been giving my book to, you know, pastors, to heads of uh, schools, even, okay. you know, uh, churches. I, I had a lady that bought like a hundred books and she's giving them to like schools and, um, you know, people um, in, in ministry and so forth. Good. I had a church buy, um, buy the book for all their staff at their church because, you know, even in the church, the stuff is, is, um, you know, festering in there. And mm. and it's so easy for the church to latch on to something like that because it, it seems like a virtue, you know. It's, it, it's got brilliant PR. It does. It I mean, does. you know, if you don't support all these causes, then you don't care about oppressed people. Right, exactly. And and so many Christians are falling for it. And um, I just I just wanted to get that information out. As somebody who, yeah. you know, with my background, Coming from Zimbabwe, yeah, um, going through pretty much the same type of CRT rhetoric in my country, which mm-hmm. led to a uh, you know complete collapse of the economy, and seeing it happen here, 
just drawing on my experience, you know, coming from Zimbabwe, also my experience coming here as a black person with nothing and being able to succeed and, and, and go to school and work hard and live the American dream, start a business with absolutely nothing stopping me. The color of my skin had absolutely no. (laughs) You want to, you want to mention what kind of business you started? Uh, It was actually an e-commerce and it was at a time when e-commerce was really uh, beginning to take off. So it was like getting in at the right time. It was the Lord. I have to tell you because Um, It just so happened that right at the time when people were starting to get comfortable with buying things online is when I got this idea to put beauty products online. So my business just took off like a rocket. I mean, at the time I was working in corporate America for a major bank and um, as an investment advisor. But part time I had this passion that I was... (laughs) always wanted to be a business owner because my mom is an entrepreneur. So I've, I've always grown up around, you know, somebody who was in business, you know? Yeah, create something yourself. Yeah, doing something for myself. And I hated the, you know, nine to five and having the, just the whole corporate culture. So So I always knew that I was going to want to be out of it, but I was like, well, you know, I probably need to. And I thought I was just starting my own little business that I could just do while I was having children. And then it just like, blew up and that's one of the reasons those people who do independent creative businesses are called the evil rich people (laughs) to make sure that nobody realizes they could do that Right. early america was mostly independent farms and businesses yeah yeah exactly so is that business still going i actually sold the business because now that i am very much involved in politics and Uh uh-huh being outspoken, this really became my passion. I mean, I had, I started this business like 13 years ago. So I've definitely evolved as a person, the things that I cared about back then, you know, I wasn't really, I, I had no kids for one thing. Yeah. Um, I was very much into the beauty industry and modeling and all those things. And that's who I was, but, you know, getting older, having children, my priorities have changed and now being in seeing what's going on and being involved in politics, I just couldn't, you know, put my passion into that anymore. Yeah. I eventually sold the business because it, you know, I was now more focused on uh, trying to do what the Lord is calling me to do, whatever he's doing in this season. So what is that? What is that focus now? Um, well, I mean, right now I'm still trying to, you know, you know, when God gives you something, he doesn't show you the whole picture. <laughs> it, it, it constantly ev- clarifying and evolving and, and partly depending on how you receive it and how you respond. Right, exactly. And, and so I'm kind of in that stage where I'm just trying to find my, my footing. So like, what do you want me to do next? Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But for sure, the book needs to get to as many people as possible. Yes, absolutely. And I want to read it. So where do you get it? You can actually get it on Amazon um, or on my website, realmelissatate.com. Okay. Um, on Amazon, it's also available on Kindle. And I just uh, launched my Audible book. So if you like to listen to books instead of reading. Right. Now available on Audible. So... I've never used that. Is that audible.com? Is that the website that does No, that? you can actually just go to Amazon, so it'll show you the different options. And they have an Audible book. Mm-hmm. And yeah. they probably have a 
what do they call it, an ebook where you can download it? Yeah, they have an ebook or a paperback, hardcover, okay. or um, Audible. You've got I had hard- a lot of, sorry, what's hard- that? Hardcover too? And hardcover as well. Okay, neat. Yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah, I had a lot of people request the uh, the Audible. A lot of people are like, oh, I don't have time to read, but I really want yeah. to read your books. Sometimes so people like, okay. are doing other things and listening. Yeah, yeah. So, mm-hmm. so well, you're a really inconvenient person for the power structure to have known, you know, <laughs> because you're a demonstration that a lot of what they're saying is not true. Mm-hmm. So that means you should be supported to the maximum. Well, Everybody should buy your book. Thank you. And go to your website. And it'll be interesting to see what you're told to do next. Yes. Right. Amen. So, Nate, well, thanks for being here and spending the time. I appreciate it very much. Well, thank you so much for having me, Richard. Hold on, we'll say goodbye in the break here. What's that? Hold on, and we'll say goodbye in the break. Okay, thank you. So there goes Melissa Tate, and I think she's a great example to Americans to remember the spirit that this country was, at least in theory, started with officially, which was self-sufficiency and trust in spirit and God and that all of our rights come from God and they can't can't ever be taken away. Um, she came to America from a country that was having a lot of trouble in Africa. It was called Zimbabwe, still called that. And Zimbabwe went through a conversion to communist, communism and suffered hyperinflation and a lot of bad things. And same stuff is, is starting to happen in America right now. And she came here with almost nothing and was able to make a very successful business and a successful personal life and uh, complete an education and do all these things. And now she's standing out, not just saying that critical race theory is malicious nonsense. She's demonstrating that it's not true and has written a book called Choice Privilege instead of White Privilege. And I haven't read it, I admit, but it sounds like a really important book and I intend to order it right away. Uh, What else do I want to say? Um, I think the thing about Melissa is she's an outspoken example of what she believes in. And that that gives so much more weight than just a belief. It's really impressive to me. And I'm sure she's been called all kinds of names for it and been demonized by various places, probably called a white supremacist and uh, Russian agent and who knows what else. But I would recommend, while the system doesn't support her, that we should and follow what she's doing at realmelissatate.com. Um her book's available on Amazon. I, I intend to get it there. And um, I think her message is just, you know, be a human. Don't believe anything's impossible because this whole place was created from nothing but consciousness in the beginning and anything else could be. And that's where we come from. So we should live up to it as much as we possibly can with help. That's about all I wanted to say about that show, but I hope that you'll get a lot out of it and support Melissa and get her book, keep up with her her work, and stay in touch at lostartsradio.com for where our shows are, lostartsradio.com slash live especially. 
where we're still on the air and where you can see us and share the links, this show in particular and others too, so that you can help us get past the censorship and shadow banning and help us stay on the air if you want to. We're commercial free. Um, There's a donate button at lostartsradio.com and also a subscribe star link, which are both ways to help us keep going and activate some of our projects that are on hold waiting for funding. And the main message is uh, take care of yourself, believe in yourself, where you came from, and live up to your real potential. Find out what that is and do it. Um, Because you have massive power to heal the world. Each one of us does. And it's never been focused, but it could be. And this is a good day to start. Whatever time we have left, we should use it well. And if you take good care of yourself, get your health back and focus your emotions and thoughts in the directions that are going to help you and respect everybody else and send out blessings instead of curses, that comes back to you immediately. And uh, I suggest starting the experiment right now. Remember that we're on the air on Saturday with the Planetary Healing Club, and you can access that at planetaryhealingclub.com. And we'll be putting up as many other videos as we can during the week to stay in touch with you and give you a lot of free content. Lots of articles and videos posted almost every day on lostartsradio.com and a contact form there in case you want to send us any messages or feedback from the shows or anything like that. So take good care of yourself and we'll meet you here next time. I'll see you then. Introducing Lost Arts Radio on Subscribestar.com. Just go to Subscribestar.com slash Lost Arts Radio to find our rewards program offering 10 different giving levels starting at just 5 bucks a month. We offer incredible value for any rewards level. From extra monthly interview videos not available publicly to subscription-based Planetary Healing Club videos once, twice, or three times a month, to private counseling sessions with Lost Arts Radio host Richard Sachs, to tech help with me, Doug Diamond. We even have one option where you can be the star on Lost Arts Radio as our guest on a specially produced show just for you. We conduct an interview with you and broadcast it to our growing network and listenership. Our subscribe star levels are one of a kind and offer great rewards for any budget. Please help support Lost Arts Radio. We can't do it without you. With increasing censorship on many of our channels, we really need your support today to keep doing what we're doing. As Richard says, we're not even at survival level yet. Lost Arts Radio has three weekly shows. Lost Arts Radio Live each Saturday night at 7.30 Eastern, 4.30 Pacific, which is a live stream currently on multiple platforms in case we get banned from some of the larger ones. Right now, we're on Facebook Live, Twitch, and DLive. You can access these broadcasts by going to www.lostartsradio.com live for all the links to those channels. The Planetary Healing Club meets right after Lost Arts Radio Live at 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific on Saturday nights. And our Sunday show with guests airs at 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific on Sunday nights on our Blog Talk Radio channel, our YouTube channels, Facebook pages, and on Brideon. Be sure to sign up for our free email list just in case we do get banned on big tech's platforms. It's just a matter of time, really. 
They don't like the stuff we talk about, and they do not want the truth out there. In fact, they have already attacked us numerous times. Join our free email list so we can let you know where we are and how to access our shows. The sign-up button is right on the top right on most pages of our website. The best starting point for all things Lost Arts Radio is our main site, lostartsradio.com, where you can find the hottest new selection videos that we curate just for you. Those are on the homepage and added to daily, as well as articles and breaking news about information you really need to know. Our show archives, the 10 most recent shows, are right on our homepage, as well as our Blog Talk Radio page at blogtalkradio.com slash lostartsradio, or just click the All Things Radio Show tab right on our website. We're in the podcast directory on iTunes, and all of our shows except the banned ones are on our YouTube channel at Lost Arts Radio. Our Brideon page is really taking off, and we often have editors' picks videos right on their homepage. Visit brideon.com slash channel slash Lost Arts Radio. On our site, you can also access our free listener forum as well as sign up for the Planetary Healing Club, which is just $25 a month, where you get private access to a one-on-one interaction with host Richard Sachs and myself and the other club members who participate live. More info can be found at planetaryhealingclub.com. We're providing solutions in there to make the world a better place. Come join us. Stay tuned because up next, you'll get to hear a really great song by an independent artist that we're doing our best to support. Go to lostartsradio.com slash music for the full list of all the great songs and bands that we spin on our audio-only podcast shows. If you're in a band and want to submit a song for consideration for airplay on Lost Arts Radio, visit my website at diamonddiscaudio.com for more information about the music placement, mastering, and mixing work that I do. Thanks again for listening to and supporting Lost Arts Radio. We love having you as part of our family to learn, experience, and grow with.
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.